0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.
1: Let's look at Parshat Korach. Um, We are going to be looking at Bamidbar, so Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. Uh, Again, I'm sure many of you know this parsha. You probably remember that Korach goes up against Moshe and Aaron. He actually happens to be Moshe and Aaron's cousin which rabbis have a very fun time with like why go up against your cousin uh you know why not support support them and be uh and and be attentive to that which they've been asked to do by god um but anyway, so he goes up against them with 250 other people and then they're swallowed up by the earth, uh, based on how they acted and the, the fact that they went up against Moshe and Aaron. So I didn't want to take anything from that part of the story because again, I think most of you know that part of the story. Um, I thought this was a very interesting line though that, that God says to Aaron, um, after this whole, this whole bit with Korah, let me. I said that I wasn't going to give you too much context, but let's just look at chapter 18 very quickly, um, so that you can kind of lead up into this verse. So when when they're starting to build uh, the tabernacle, one of the things I'm actually talking about this tomorrow in. The, uh, in the sanctuary service, the idea that the pans that were used, uh, by Korah and his men with that incense that ended up being seen as, um, as sacrificial, but not, but not that which God had asked for. Similar almost to the way that Aaron's sons die, interestingly enough. Um, but those pans are then used as part of the tabernacle itself. So something that was used for not good is now being used for good, which is the topic of my sermon tomorrow. Um, so this is I uh, hold on a second. There we go. Um this is the lead up here to, to this verse that we're going to look at. So it says, I hereby take your fellow Levites from among the Israelites. They are assigned to you in dedication to the Lord to do the work of the tent of meeting while you and your sons shall be careful to perform your priestly duties and everything pertaining to the altar and to what is behind the curtain. I make your priesthood a service of dedication. Any outsider who encroaches shall be put to death. And then God then continues speaking to Aaron about the different kinds of sacrifices. So the first fruits, as you can see here, charge of my gifts, meaning God's gifts, sacred donations to the Israelites. Um, that that's kind of Aaron's job, the Levite's job as part of um, their their um, responsibility for as um, as part of. Sort of the, the royalty of, of Jews in terms of Kohanim and Leviim. Um, just trying to see if there's any other piece here to, so the first fruits of everything in their land shall be yours, everyone of your household can eat them, I uh, every first issue of the womb. So you've probably heard about for humans, the idea of a first born male being given over in what's called Pidion Haben. This is not actually where we talk about Pidion Haben because we are talking about people and animals, but that is one concept that comes about based on Kohanut, based on priestly duties. Um, And then we get here, I... I'll read one verse beforehand. This is not our verse, but just to lead us in. All the sacred gifts that the Israelites set aside for God, I give to you and to your sons and to the daughters that are with you as a due for all time. It shall be an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for you and for your offspring as well. And now this is our verse. So, and God said to Aaron. Uh, in your land, you shall have no, you shall have no portion, no territorial share, it says here, among them, uh, and you won't have within it, uh, within their, their midst. Oh, Siri just picked up on that. Great. Um, you, there will be no portion within that, uh, it says their midst here. I don't know. Betocham is like within it, within that, that space. Anichel kecha betoch b'nei Yisrael. I am your portion. Anichel kecha. I am that which you are going to get as a portion and your, uh, and your share, your, that which you will receive um, amongst b'nei Israel, amongst the people of Israel. So... I will get into why I thought this was a fascinating verse, uh, in, in just a moment, but I would love to hear if you have any questions about this verse. Again, we're looking at Numbers 18, chapter 18, verse 20. Any thoughts or questions?
2: Yeah, Karen. Why, why is he not getting a portion of territory?
1: Great right why why is there no portion for aaron um why is the territory or, now not going to be for him but only but only god will be for him yeah denise
0: so one and a half questions the one question yeah. is if they're not having an inherited territorial portion
1: yeah um
0: like it's sort of unexpected that someone would rise up and say no i want that privilege because in a way they could be seen as losing out financially if they're not ah, getting it right so it's it just kind of it it's a little bit man bites dog in that sense interesting um and then i and then the half question is because it's the previous verse so it might be outside our purview but <laughs> i just wondered what is a covenant of salt i never heard of that
1: yeah i was worried that someone might ask that i actually don't know um Bret melach let's see if it tells us on safari yeah um nope no definitions <laughs> okay i don't actually know um let's see a covenant of salt this means that god made a covenant with Aaron by means of something which is wholesome and lasting and keeps other things wholesome says rashi um like the covenant that was made with salt and that it will never decay that's those are lovely drashot so maybe it just means that it's an everlasting breach, uh according to according to rashi Uh, Renee?
3: It says uh, no territorial share or any portion. Is that uh, two separate things that that he's saying, that God is saying to Aaron that he's not going to have? Yeah. No territory and also no something else?
1: Yeah, it seems to be, right? It seems to be that the territorial share is one part of an inheritance, and then a portion in their midst seems to be something maybe – more coveted or potentially something that's more everlasting than just um territories right because territories can be taken over but maybe a portion in their midst is more like um it is more uh, i'm trying to think of like a modern day term like more like owning the land as opposed to owning the 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 apartment building on the land <laughs> right that right the that's what i was thinking on. it's
3: is it is it they can't have the house and also they can't have the land I believe that's
1: what it's saying. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, what portion is being used for, um, in terms of Tinechal. Maybe it will tell us uh, other places that it's used here, but, um, yeah, like an inheritance it says here. So that's, uh, dividing the land for possession. Yeah.
0: Okay. Just uh, as an interesting yes. random note, sure. when, when you buy real estate on land that's owned by indigenous people, <clears throat> like in Palm Springs or Hawaii, yeah um very often they have this thing it's called um fee simple or land yeah. lease and so a lot of the real estate deals you're just buying the unit or the house but you yeah. don't own the land You it's a lease for like 100 years or something
1: oh very interesting I and then it
0: has to revert
1: That makes sense. I mean, that makes sense. That's, that's very interesting. I know in Israel, it's a big problem in Israel, because so much of the land is owned by the the actual state, right, as opposed to people. And so then when you buy on that land, it becomes an issue as as we all know um whose land is it who lives on it um right like indigenous palestinian people who have lived on it for forever even if they're israeli palestinians right they they lived on that land before it was israel and so is it their land or is it the state's land Uh, i know that in israel that becomes a big thing i didn't know that about that in america um Elon, did you have a hand or did you just move on my screen no okay um, all right, I'm going to stop sharing this for one second just so I can get back to my source sheet. Does anybody else have any other questions? Arcushio. Um, yeah, Denise, I saw your email. You're, you will get a, you'll get an email uh, at noon. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Let me just. Safari changed their format here, so I'm having to find this a little bit differently. Okay, so. I, because it was just, yeah, Joanna, go ahead.
2: I just wanted to mention that there's this tradition of, um, like, when you move into a home, there's various, like, combinations of this, but, like, the first thing that you bring into a home is wine, salt, and sugar. So I'm just sort of wondering if somehow, like, there's some kind of connection between salt and, like, taking possession of land and territory, Interesting. And I don't I had, think, by the way, that that's a necessarily a Jewish tradition. Like I've heard of various cultures doing yeah. things like that.
1: I've never heard of the wine, salt, and sugar. That's so interesting. Um, is, is it something that you bring into your home or people are supposed to bring to you?
2: The way that I learned that tradition is that you yourself, like the first thing before you bring in your books or your clothes or your box or whatever else your possessions the, when you walk into a new home for the first time you know you walk in with wine salt and sugar
3: wow i had no idea the leads. it's what the the signs like we were talking about the, the other load. night
1: yeah yeah Low yeah load. that's so interesting wow
3: huh. I, I i heard of the salt and sugar i did not hear of the wine wine I
1: really like that. I'll have to look that up. I will tell you that when I moved into my home in Los Angeles, it was definitely not wine, salt, or sugar that came into my house first. But, uh, <laughs> I think it was a couch. Uh, but, but, oh, salt of the earth. Yeah, Karen. I mean, I think that what they're bringing about here is that you, this, this everlasting covenant, salt is something that is always, as Karen just said, like, number one, indigenous to a place, but you can always find it, right? It's always going to be part of um, a place where you live or a people. It doesn't go bad. At least that's what Rashi seems to think. Um, Okay. So we're going to move to, can you all see that? I just did a weird thing. So can you see this, the source sheet? Yes. Karen is, yes. Okay. Great.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. So so here is the, here's our verse again at the top of this source sheet here. And I want to look at the Ramban. Um, so the thing that was most interesting to me, actually, before I start sharing, the thing that was most interesting to me about this verse was the fact that God goes beyond, I think God's self in kind of an egotistical way, if you can say that about God and says, don't worry, you're not going to get land, but you have me. Now, it's lovely to feel a connection to God. And I'm sure that that was meaningful to Aaron. However, having land allows you to live somewhere. Having land allows you to create a family. Having land allows you to earn money and to, and to feel established. God is not that right. God does not. Um, God might allow for those things, but God does not provide those things by having God in your life. Right. God, that is not where you build your home or anything like that. So I was, I was very, I forget who said this, but um, but I was very taken with the fact that you seem to be missing. Maybe it was Denise. You seem to be missing out on something very important by not getting this inheritance, and instead you have God at your side, right? You, it seems to not be a win, a winning situation. It seems to be almost a losing situation, or at least a uh, a less than exciting situation. So we're gonna look at the Ramban here. Um, And he says, it means that you, Aaron, will not inherit a share amongst any one of the tribes of Israel. Okay, so as as we know, the tribes of Israel were made up, and it seems as though Aaron now is not going to be part of those 12 tribes. Neither shall you have even a small portion in their land at all, for the cities which were given to them, the Levites, were also cities of refuge. Do you all know the concept of cities of refuge? Like It comes up later in the... And the Torah, okay. I think it's going to tell you what they are in a second. If they don't, I'll I'll describe them. Um, uh, Paula knows what they are. Tabla knows what they are. Oh, thank you. This thumbs up thing is very helpful. Um, And were used by the rest of Israel. Now this admonition applies to the priests. And afterwards, God mentioned with respect to the Levites, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance, just as God had admonished the priests. And our rabbis interpreted the verse, you shall have no inheritance in their land as referring to the time when the land was divided up amongst the tribes. Neither shall you have any portion among them. That is a portion of the spoil taken from the defeated enemy. I am your portion. You eat at my table, meaning you at God's table. Do they have any thoughts about this or, or do you, do you like this commentary? Do you think this is compelling? Does it answer the questions? Of why Aaron might want an inheritance with God as opposed to land.
3: Yeah, Karen. God, God is making it sound much more tempting than just the land. Like anybody can have the land, but you're getting something even better.
1: Okay, great. So the fact that that God is now saying, "Don't worry, they have land, but here are all the things that in in our connection together you might you might get in terms of relationship," Karen. What are those things? The city's a refuge? Thank you for reminding me. No, no. So
2: this, what, what are oh. those things? Well, you won't get a portion, blah, 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 but you come to my table and you're going to get...
1: Right. So I think that what it's saying is that the tribes... Yes, you're not going to get a portion of the tribes, right? You're not going to be part of that um, construct. And then you're also not going to get part of the reward that was taken from these people's land that you took over. Um, but you will have um you will have this uh invitation <laughs> for lack of a better term um to be with god at all times right you will have the ability to be in god's presence to eat from god's table to be with god now the interesting thing that ramban is doing here which i it it makes sense and it's a little bit harder to to buy into and to believe because um ramban is obviously living in a more modern day than the Torah was written in, to eat at God's table is is in and it of itself a symbol, right? You're, you're not actually going to be eating at God's table. So you have to believe in that relationship with God. God isn't actually providing you, going to the grocery store and providing you with the meal. It just means that you have a relationship with God. But again, the inheritance and the land is so much more physical than anything you will be getting from your relationship with God. So, this commentary does not did not does not uh convince me of this being a better deal for for Aaron um any other thoughts on this we're, there are other commentaries we're gonna go to, so if not, we can go to the next one, okay. So this next one is from Hezkuni, and it's uh, It's commenting on, I am your portion. So, ani chel Kecha. so is the end of our verse. God is announcing that God personally is the priest's portion, as opposed to terrestrial earth and in the Holy Land, etc. Seeing that this is so, you are free to perform your duties in the tabernacle once you are all settled in the land of Israel. Seeing that you have these duties, you are relieved of the need to work for a living for six days a week and the many difficulties that that involves. You need not engage in trade and commerce either. So what kuni is saying here is, I'll take care of you. My God, we'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about any kind of human mundane activities because I'm going to be the one who takes care of you and... You'll you'll do what you need to do for the tabernacle and for the temple because that's where I dwell. But in terms of just general human existence, you don't have to worry about that. Thoughts? Yeah, Denise.
4: Oops.
0: Ah, sorry. Um, <laughs> I had it in my pocket, so couldn't get no to problem. it. No problem. Um. Oh my God! And now I lost my thought. Oh, it reminds me a little bit. Of the idea in Catholicism where the priests don't get married and stuff, and here oh, like the family of priests is supposed, to, like just these things that kind of take you out of everyday mundane life and maybe yeah. are intended to be more spiritual or to cultivate more spirituality. Very
1: interesting. Uh, I had not made that connection. The connection that I made, which I guess is like the Jewish version of what you're what you're claiming, is in the Haredi world, when the men don't work, they just study all day. And they believe that they, they will be able to, um, uh, provide for their family and be able to do all the things that they need to do, even though all they're doing is studying all day, uh, which doesn't bring them money. I mean, if you live in Israel, the state gives you a little bit of money for doing that. But uh, that's a very interesting connection. And I wonder, given that we share an Old Testament, I wonder if this is where some of that comes from, actually, that I am your portion. And so you don't need that partnership. Interesting. OK, Joanna, Renee, and then Tybalt.
2: So I think that um, there's sort of the very lofty sense of spirituality that, um, you know, they don't need to be, you know, have possessions in the same way because there is, you know, they're so spiritually connected. But I think there's a very practical sense here also because... To own land, especially in those times, means to have to work the land. And, and that work requires a lot of time and commitment and dedication. If you think of a fa- of a farmer's life, how early they're up in the morning, you know, working until it gets dark.
4: Yeah. And it
2: basically, like, if you read the Corbanote cycle about how, you know, they started their work when the sun rose and whatever... Yeah. It coincides. So just like from the practical perspective, it would not have been practical to expect Kohanim to or you know Livyim as well to to yeah. to own land and to have a job in the Betamique Dash, let alone like commuting time back and forth.
1: Yeah. That's a yeah, that's fascinating that maybe God was actually relieving them of what they might think they also had to do. Right. It's, it's, when you say commuting, it made me think of parsonage, right? That, that clergy of all different religions get what's called parsonage. I'm not going to go into it because it's annoying to have to explain and also complicated, but basically the back in the day, the, the uh the community wanted their pastor because it was created in in a christian dominated world um wanted their pastor to live near the community because if someone died or if you know they needed to be on call all the time, they had a parsonage home now sometimes you'll see. Churches that actually have a home attached—that was a parsonage home. In Judaism, in in the more traditional uh, denominations, it obviously helps in terms of wanting a home near the community because you would walk on Shabbat. So, in terms of that commuting piece, um, it doesn't help with the with the example that you gave uh, in terms of actual responsibilities, but it does remind me of. You being a shepherd to your flock, right? Not to use such a Christian, uh, metaphor, but the idea of being close and really only responsible for that which is your duty as, in this case, the priest or the rabbi or the imam or whatever you are. Um, and God saying, so don't worry about the other things. You just worry about taking care of your community, being close to me as your God. The other people who don't have those duties will then take care of everything else. I really, I like the practicality of that. I think it's a, it's a fascinating point. Uh, Renee.
3: Okay. I, I'm kind of, uh, permished here. So you may have already said it, but okay. I was thinking of like the, the Dati community also in, in Israel where the yeshiva buchers just, uh, not just, they learn and it's considered to be a higher kabod, the fact that they're learning Dafkaf because of, for all of us. Um, and then add that the women are the ones that are bringing, that they don't need to engage in trade because the women are doing that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I did say that, but it's a, but it is a, it's a good point to reiterate. (laughs) Uh, Um, sorry. No, that's okay. Ty will.
5: Um, sorry. Oh, wait. Hold on. Oh, you're recording. Okay. Um, (laughs) when you said we share the Old Testament, I will respectfully disagree. Different books, different orders. The Protestant Old Testament is not the same as Eastern Rite, Old Testament, and Roman Catholic. Different books, different orders. Um, And more importantly, there's different translations. The, The infamous word in the Hebrew, which means the ritual status of an unmarried woman, is not exactly the same as a virgin the whole binding of Isaac versus the sacrifice of Isaac, I'll stop. I'll just say I think there are five really important differences between any Christian version of the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible.
1: Yeah, they're definitely different. And obviously we read ours in the original and they read theirs in English. And with any translation comes very different interpretation. So, yes, they're definitely different. But I, I think what I'm getting at is that we there are Foundational stories and foundational, you know, th- these same verses from Numbers are also in, um, what, what they would refer to as the Old Testament, um, that potentially this comes from. I don't know, cause I actually have an Old Testament on my shelf over there. I could look it up, but, um, but I don't know. Uh, and I, I do, I do think that it's always interesting to think about when, like when Denise brought up, um, the role of a priest in terms of their own family life, where that could possibly come from. And I don't know that it comes straight from here, but it is interesting that, that it would make us think of that type of, of, um, livelihood. So yes, you are, you, I think we are both correct that so they are definitely different, uh, based on translation and interpretation, but also, um, also the same, the same verses and same books. Okay. So this is the Or HaChaim. Uh, This is uh, now a different commentary, but still on the same part of I am your share and your inheritance, right? God speaking to Aaron and saying, I will be for you everything you need. So God first says, I, meaning that which is unique to God, will be the share of the priests. That's a really interesting statement, right? That it's not just, I, the character of God, but that which I can bring to your life, that only the divine can bring, right? The the qualities, the um, it says here the the what is unique, like the uh, characteristics, is the word I was looking for. He then added amongst the children of Israel that there would not be anything the Israelites did in which God did not have a share. So now this is a very different. Um, read on that we would have a share that God would, that God would be our portion, right? That instead of us being able to just benefit from God, that everything that we do now, God is part of. That's a little bit more big brother than the way that the other, that the other rabbis are interpreting the verse that there would not be anything that the Israelites did in which God did not have a share. So anything that I do, any of my practices, anything that I benefit from, God not only has a hand in, but God also gets a portion of. So it's reciprocal, which is very nice, a little bit harder to believe, and also a fascinating way of thinking about relationship with the divine. The priest would receive this share of the harvest of the land, right? So... So now what what the Orachim is doing is comparing that which the the regular human would would have in terms of their own uh, relationship with their share of something, with their portion of something, and now comparing it to Aaron and God. Uh, The priest would receive this share of the harvest of the land, the trees, the bread, the meat, the wine, the oil, and the remainder of the 24 categories of gifts the Israelite is to donate to the priest on God's behalf. So the verses that we didn't read that I kind of skipped over earlier mentions all these things that the priests now have to deal with uh, as part of the sacrifices to God in their responsibility to the tabernacle. So I would love to hear your thoughts. My my understanding of this is that what God is saying is that just as the priest would take the first fruits, would take the first of the animals, provide it as a sacrifice and be able to benefit from basically the barbecue that happens, right? It says you would eat the meat afterwards. That so too, Aaron with God, that if you do something, God benefits, but also you Aaron benefit from that connection to me. So it's a little bit nuanced, but I think that, I think that the Oraheim is getting to something here that shows reciprocity, which we haven't yet seen from the other commentators. Does anybody have any thoughts or comments on this? Or are you lost? Yeah, Elon.
4: Yeah, it's actually a pretty good racket, if you ask me. They They get all the other guys to do the hard work. They do the farming. They do the kill the animals and and these guys get to hang out in the in the temple and kind of skim a little bit of the profit for themselves it's actually you know originally when you read it it's like oh this kind of sucks because you're not getting any land but they have a way better deal
1: Right. So it seems like they are at the top. I mean, we know they're at the top based on the hierarchy of, you know, where priests are in the line, obviously.
4: But but I would argue that not only are they at the top kind of in a spiritual way, but actually even in an economic way, they're at the top, right? Right, exactly. this This is a great gig.
1: Exactly. That's just what I was about to say. Yeah, it seems like they just have a bunch of people working for them and they get all the benefits of all the work that's being done below them. Yeah, Joanna.
2: This is taking me to um, that piece of liturgy that we say on High Holidays where we talk about there's like these repeated lines about our relationship to God, ki anu amecha.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And what's interesting is, I, I don't know quite what to make of it, but in that piece of liturgy, God is the heilek, but we are nachalatecha. Um, So, and I believe if I have it right in that line, I mean, I can flip back in a second and look. Actually, let me check it while I'm talking to you. Yeah, in that, I mean, it's still very much a hierarchy that in that line that where we are nachalatecha, God is goraleinu, God is our destiny. So clearly, there, you know, it's not like all of a sudden we're equal. But it's just interesting to me, like, what, how the phrases are used and what's attributed to whom.
1: Yeah, that is, that is very interesting and maybe actually plays with what the Orachim is doing here, right? That, that maybe there is that reciprocity that we can at times be the Chalek and we can at times be the Nachalatecha and that God also can be, can be one or the other based on what's happening. Um, yes, and Kianu Amecha, um, it, it, I've never thought about it as anything other than we are, I mean, based on the words, <laughs> we are your people and you are our portion. Um, but I guess it could also be the reverse in that you allow us to be your people and therefore we are your portion. Ah, that's that's a beautiful, a beautiful idea. And, and I would hope that's the case, right? I, I think if we only believed that God was a man in the sky with a large beard, I I think that many of us would be less inclined to enjoy the Judaism that we practice, especially if we're ritual Jews, because then what, what point is it in me doing anything that God doesn't have any recognition of or have a, get anything in, um, in response to my practice. Right. And so I, I do hope that that is a little bit of what, um, God feels and God experiences in having a people.
2: And if you look I as I just did at all, you know, the second half of all those lines that describe who God is, yeah. God can't be that without there being something to be that towards. So exactly. there is a reciprocity yeah. in that sense that um you know, you can't be a keeper of a vineyard if you don't have a vineyard and if there are no grapes.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful idea. And I think, again, I think that's what the Ora is doing here, because if I, if God says, I am your share, well, you have to be a people for me to be a share too, right? I can't be your portion if there is nothing to be a portion to. So God needs the people to be devoted to God for God to be able to, to, um, to share that relationship back. Uh, okay, let's look at one last piece here. This is from the Torah Aruch, which you don't, we don't necessarily see very often in this class. and it says, you will not share in the inheritance of their lands. Nachmanides understands uh the verse to mean that the Levites, the priests, will not share in the land of Israel on the same basis as do the other tribes. In fact, they would not even get any real share as the 48 cities set aside for the Levites were basically all on soil, belonging to the respective tribes on whose territory they were situated basically these cities functioned as cities of refuge for inadvertent killers that's what the cities of ref- refuge are a place for people who by accident killed someone or by accident did something wrong they would go to these cities of refuge so that they weren't punished um the warning spelled out in our verse is actually directed at the priests the warning to the levites is only a corollary of this our sages interpreted the words be'artzam lochina as applying primarily to the time when Joshua would divide up the land as loot, as the loot, excuse me, accruing to the people from their war of conquest. So this one is much more about the land, as as you just heard, and talking about the land and the territory, um, and what it means to not have inheritance of that. It's not to me. It's not as compelling of a commentary as the one right before it, uh, just in terms of. I guess my interest my lack of interest <laughs> in real estate. Um, but um, anyone want to say anything about this? I thought I would bring it because it's all, it's, it's a, it's a very practical way of just reading what it meant to have inheritance of the land.
3: Any thoughts? Be- being a bot lazy. Yes. Uh, it's interesting that, I mean, after the Kohanim, I, I, my understanding is that like after the Kohanim, the Levim are also pretty important, right? Yeah, of course. And yeah. It, but it doesn't seem, based on this paragraph, that the Levites are of uh, any special merit at all.
1: So, um, well, if you if you take if you take that and then remember what Elon said, actually the Levites are getting kind of the better deal of the whole thing in terms of their. Yes, they are not getting the land, but in terms of their. Uh, benefits based on their, their situational responsibilities in the tabernacle. So they were extremely important in terms of the logistics and the spiritual, um, uh, I don't know what to call it, like responsibility or choreography that they would, uh, help figure out. Um, but yeah, I mean, they clearly weren't getting, they weren't the oldest child, right? They weren't getting the inheritance, which, which oldest children got. Um, and so it does go a little bit more into the way which which the Torah deals with birth order. Um, but, but I think Elon's right that they weren't missing out on everything. They just didn't have to do the work. Uh, for that which they would inherit in terms of the land itself, so I think they're still important. I think they just have different importance uh Tybal.
5: um I know it's centuries later, but I wanted to point out in terms of Levine being um, being honored that the acronym for for SEGAL is one of i mean yes, Cohen is a coincidic find—that's simple. But the Siegel acronym, which means something like treasured, I can't remember at the moment, but treasured person that assists the kohenim that's beautiful. And to me, given how late Jews took last names and Siegel is a very common one, that shows that the Levites held a special place in the Jewish heart.
1: Interesting, very interesting. I will tell you that my family is made up of Leviim. In fact, we have... Levy's and my family on both sides, um, but uh, but my great grandfather, for whatever reason, told people that we were Kohanim, which <laughs> there's no there's no proof of anywhere. Um, but on <laughs> but but he told everybody that we were Kohanim and that you know, my dad, my grandfather. So his son, uh, knew of himself as a Kohen. And then my dad, as an adult, decided there's no proof that I'm a Kohen and I would rather be able to go to funerals and do that mitzvah than hold on to this potential, uh, fabrication of our identity. Uh, and so we do not hold ourselves as Kohanim. Who knows what we are, but, but we don't. And, um, and so you're right that there there are these pieces that you know people want to be seen as or hold themselves up to these different uh, status names of Cohen or Levy or Levy, uh, and that who knows if they actually go back and they're actually true. Uh, Joanne and then Elon.
2: It jumped out at me when you were sort of quickly dashing through the verses, and I didn't, you know, raise my hand to comment because I knew it wasn't the focus of our discussion. Yeah. But in reaction to um what Renee just mentioned about being the daughter of Alevi, yeah. it jumped out at me when you read numbers 18, 19 that um there is an acknowledgement of the daughters of Levites, right? Because all the sacred gifts are given to you, to your sons and to your daughters. And, you know, in are so often overlooked. It jumped out at me for that reason, the specific mention that, Hey, the women get a portion here. And it jumped out at me in light of what's coming up in a couple of weeks time. Um, the story of Benot Slovchad, where in the sort of in the regular population, the daughters have to fight for what's to due to them. But yeah. there seems to be, you know, for the, for the Levi'im, it was clearly demarcated that the daughters get.
1: Definitely, for sure. As I was reading it, I was like, oh, I could have picked this first and talked about the women. Um, but yeah, for sure. And, and interesting that the daughters of Slovchad in two weeks will see. Are also fighting for land, right? They're fighting for inheritance. So it's also very interesting in terms of this conversation that even if they, even if we know that we get something beyond just the inheritance and beyond just the land, that there still is this element of wanting that and feeling like that's the most important aspect of when your parents pass on, you know, receiving that. Um, and so we go back to the, the, the original question, which is, how is it important or feel, feel good to Aaron for God to just say, no, I'll be your portion. Don't worry about anything else. Uh, Elon.
4: Yeah, this is a, a little bit off topic, but it it, it strikes me that because um, God basically set the Livyim up as this kind of bureaucratic class that it ultimately, in which it historically did ultimately lead to resentment among the other people who were actually farming the fields and, yeah. um, you know, uh, raising the flocks. And not only did it lead to resentment, but in fact, it led to corruption, right, because you had a whole group of people who actually weren't living by um, you know, kind of the, the, by the work of the hands were, were essentially living off the taxes of the, of the population. And, and, uh, um, it, I, I, it's, it seems to me that whoever wrote the Torah, whether it was divinely inspired or whatever, did not contemplate that this would naturally lead to this resentment and corruption.
1: Oh, interesting. What, so what do you think that they, what, what do you think that the author thought it was? Doing
4: that, I don't. I don't think he. Con- I don't think the author contemplated that. I don't think. I think yeah. the author said, "Okay, we're going to set up these people because somebody's got to do it." Mm. But, but it, it, the they, you know, it's kind of the law of unintended consequences. It might have been a good idea to set up a class of people to do this, but the problem is when you, whenever you do that, it invariably leads to the 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 temptation to corruption is is kind of just it's hard to it's hard to fight, right?
1: Yeah, and which which goes back to, you know, are we reading our own experience whether with the Torah or just in life into this verse? Is it so much more basic than than we really think? Um yeah, I it's it's a really it's a really good point and I want to think about it more cuz I'm not sure to say that God is going to be your portion, I would feel like especially if God wasn't the author, you know, what's the point in even saying that then? Why not just end the verse before that part? <laughs> no no thoughts on that? I it's yeah, I it's a very compelling it's a very compelling point, Elon. Um and no one to ask. I have no idea who I would ask about that. But but it's uh it's a very interesting it's a it's an interesting way of reading the Torah always, right? That how are we how are we looking at this as something that the author wrote to either make us Make us think one way, or actually, uh, we're now bringing ourselves into this and and finding that um, finding that meaning which they didn't actually intend for. It's
4: Very interesting. And, and, I mean, if you look at the time of Jesus, certainly part of that was a um, was a reaction to the perceived corruption of the priests and the Levites, right? Sure. And, and, sure. and um, you know the people who were in charge of this, right? And the question is. Was it, was it set up so that, that this class of people was doomed because that's the human nature. There was nothing yeah. to avoid that, right? And.
1: Right. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, very, very interesting. Uh, Joanna.
2: I think ultimately, what is going on here is something we spent a lot of time actually discussing yesterday in rabbi or on wednesday in rabbi clickfeld's Rashi class uh-huh. where we were also talking about language that described our relationship with God, and that all of this like we have to remember that all of this is metaphor, all of this undescribable you know we we can't really. Talk about God or understand God, because if we could, if we fully knew God, then God wouldn't be God. Um, So, and I think in in our struggle is the reason that we kind of have some of this repeated language, because we're just trying to get at ways that can help us put our fingers on some way of dealing with the relationship in the only language and terms that we can. Because to leave it Mm -hmm. completely abstract. We we wouldn't be able to to like function either. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm just gonna leave that. Yeah, I uh yes, very very. uh, What did that come up with in terms of where are you with Rabbi Kligfeld that that came up? Because you're not this far in the Torah yet.
2: No, we're 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 um just on the cusp of the Exodus in 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 Exodus four when
0: uh, God is making
2: his promises to, you know, and describing, you know, the future relationship in essence.
1: All right. Great. Okay. Exodus 4. Maybe by next year when we get to Exodus, you'll be at like Exodus 7. You'll be able to say, well, look where we are. Uh, um,
5: When Elon was speaking, this isn't specific to it, but what it reminded me of is how sometimes it's so hard to understand the difference in cultural worldviews Mm-hmm. Even, even though we're Jewish and we're infused with it. And I always like the example of how, um, the worst thing in the Judaic criminal system would be to take a vow. I mean, to risk lose, to be, right, being cut off from your people. And you look at the American civil or criminal system and we rely on sworn testimony, testimony from criminals who are making deals. I mean, and the reason why they say that, it's because it's, some of it is so embedded because we're so used to that as Americans, we don't understand what anathema it would be to have witnesses that weren't considered of the highest integrity. And I'm not saying the witness thing is for this specifically, but I think sometimes yeah. we just, it's just really hard to have the, the lens of a different cultural worldview.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Denise.
0: So I feel like I feel like this theme comes up a lot in the Torah, and I think it's true for life, which is that nobody gets every blessing, right? So all through the Torah, you see like you know Yaakov and Rachel had love at first sight, but then they couldn't have children right away, and she died early, and Leah had children really easily, but she didn't have the marriage blessing, and on and on and on, and yeah. even Moshe, the greatest of all times, doesn't get to go into Eretz Yisrael yeah yeah and and so this is just kind of it feels like an echo of that where some people are going to have the blessing of land and wealth and all that comes with it but they're not going to have the connection in the same way and some people are going to have the connection but they're not going to have the land because there's just no having it all in our perspective
1: yeah yeah That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful way of thinking about something that lacks equality, having equality, right? That you need things to be balanced. You need people to get the blessing. You need people not to get the blessing. And to Elon's point, you need people to do the sacrifices and you need people to benefit from the sacrifices. So you need, you need that balance or else, everything's I mean you also if we wanted to to move this metaphor even further you need good people and you need bad people or else the good people would just you know so so I think that it's a that's a very it's a very beautiful way of thinking about this and bringing into it um this idea this this is my own drosh is not what you said but this idea that that God is choosing Aaron and that role of person to be connected to right why not the people who were giving the sacrifices why not the people who are higher up in the um in the like Kohanut chain right and and that's that it's a really good underdog Um uh, drash, because maybe God is actually more connected to the people who are doing the work on the ground rather than, and as Elon said, not necessarily the, the grunt work, but the work of the connection and the work of the um, the facilitation of those spiritual moments, rather than the people who are so high up that they feel like they don't need that connection. Uh, it's a beautiful drash. You should write it. It's a it's a really beautiful connection to this. Okay, Renee, and then Joanna, and then um, I have a 12 o'clock on the dot. So I we're gonna end a few seconds before 12.
3: It just got me to think of what we were learning with the uh, Kol Adam Samech.
1: Yeah, you just muted yourself, but yes.
3: Oh, you Kol Adam Samech B'halko.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> the the idea in Pirkei vote that that every person should be should be happy with their lot, right? Aza hu a hasameach bechelko, who's the one who's rich, he's happy with everything he has. Yeah, I think first of all, I think yes, that that is definitely being applied here. And does it mean that God can be everything to you? Because the other we didn't really talk so much about this, but the other piece to this verse is. That the author of the Torah is saying, not only you will not get land, but you will get God, which in a certain way assumes that God can be everything. And that's not necessarily the case for everybody. Not there's there are not people in this world. There, sorry, let me say it without double negatives. There are people in this world who feel as though God can be everything for them and they're they're set for life. There are other people in this world. Who need to believe that there's something more than God interacting with their everyday existence to believe that their life is going to be fulfilled in the ways that they need it to be or want it to be? Um, so to go back to the verse, you know, it would would the ideal be to have both a little bit of land and the connection to God, or is it enough to have God be your whole portion? Uh, Joanna.
2: Denise, I thought it was kind of profound what you just said. And it made me think of the fact that like what we tend to say is we want things to be equal, but that's not really what we want. We want things to be equitable. Right. Because like, you know, you think of yourself as a as a parent of children, you know, but one example, do I give exactly the same gift to each of my kids on their birthdays? No, because I have one who's very Sports inclined. So I tend to focus on, you know, recognize him for who he is and, and focus on, on that. And I have another kid who's very musical, who wants nothing more for his birthday than, you know, tickets to a musical, which my other son would hate. So it's not always about, you know, does everyone have everything exactly the same and identical? But is there, is it equitable? Is it, Fair to who that person is and to that person's needs. And so it doesn't make sense for everyone to have everything because it doesn't speak to who everyone is, you know, an understanding and appreciation of individual needs, desires, wants.
1: Beautiful. I, I'm reminded of uh, during the summer when the, when all of the um, protests were happening everywhere, but also in the streets of Los Angeles. Um, and there was a meme that went out that had three different people. One was a child. One was a, a, a I don't know, a, an adult. And one was like a person older in age. And you saw... There are, they were different heights in the picture. some of you probably saw this, and I, if I'm not explaining it well, you might not know what I'm talking about, but they were each different heights, and so one photo had a fence and boxes on the bottom, and each one and the boxes were the same height and each person, the child, the father, the grandfather, were standing on these boxes. The child couldn't see over the fence the father could see over the fence, and the grandfather was not comfortable, you know, getting up on that box. So then the second photo, um, has the, has the photo, has the drawing, sorry, of the boxes at different heights so that the child could then see over the fence. And the father had the same height boxes before because that worked for him. And the grandfather had steps up to the box so that he could see over the fence, right? And what that shows is that exactly the example that you just gave that you can't just have everybody getting the same experience getting the same gift getting the same amount of land right if if we're going to go back to our Torah but that that which you need is that which you should receive to be able to to feel like you're part of the same experience um so yeah you you did a much more beautiful job with this verse than I could have ever imagined I would not have gone to these places it's part of the beauty of this class um but uh but I hope that you're able to think about these the different ways in which we fall into this right where is where is our trajectory in terms of us feeling like we have a portion, both in the term, in terms of that, which we have tangibly, but also in terms of, oh, guys. Thank you. This is very nice. I didn't mean to ask all these compliments. Um, but in terms of the, the way in which we also feel like we have part of a relationship with God to help us through navigating these, uh, the different elements of the portion that we have in this life. Um, Shabbat Shalom. I hope this was a different view of Korach than you've usually had before. Um, Definitely not the main part of this parsha in terms of the story. And uh, hope to see many of you, whether in person or online, tomorrow for Shabbat services.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for Conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Betham Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.